Thank you for joining us today for this life-changing message from River of Life. If you are ever in our area, we would love for you to join us. For more information, visit us at rolcrawfordville.com. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Or download our app in the App Store under ROL Crawfordville. Now, let's join Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. Good morning, River of Life. Hey, uh, Pastor Henry is a little under the weather, him and Miss Beth, so uh, be praying for them. They should be back uh, next week, I would think, but uh, just wasn't quite up to it this morning, so he asked me to, uh, to sit in for him, which I was glad to do. If you got your Bibles this morning, you want to follow along on your, or, or your devices or whatever you bring with you, Romans chapter 12, we're going to be in verses 4 through 8. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 8. I want to talk to you this morning a little bit about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. Now, as I, as I stand here this morning, uh, I'm looking around, and I don't know how many people are here. I, I'm not uh, privy to the count or anything, but I would guess I'm looking at probably, let's just say about 500 people. So what I see this morning as I look out is I see 500 individual people who need Christ. 500 individual people, 500 individual sinners who need to be rescued from the judgment of a holy God. And I can tell you, thank God that He has made a way for that to happen. You see, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, and through His obedient life, through His death on the cross, and through His resurrection from the grave, He's made a way for His righteousness to be made available to us as a free gift, and it comes one way, and that is through faith. That's the gospel, folks. That is the good news. So, as I look around this morning, 500 individual people are guilty sinners, but 500 individual people who have the choice to put their faith in Jesus Christ and be saved. But see, what I'm afraid we forget sometime is that God's purposes and plans and salvation don't stop with just saving an individual person. His purposes in salvation and His purposes for saving individuals are much, much more uh, profound than just saving a single person. Now, we're going to see this illustrated in this morning's passage. I want to begin in Romans 12, 4. We'll just start with the first verse. Paul says this, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Now, let's stop right there. Paul here is talking about the human body. He's actually setting up an analogy, and you guys all know an analogy is when you compare two things that are like one another. So Paul is setting up an analogy, and he says we all have a body. Now, I'm I'm glad he used this analogy, because if he'd have talked about the universe or astronomy or or physics or things like that, I, I couldn't have identified with that. But we all have a body. We can all identify with this. And we all understand that our body has many members. We have fingers and toes and hands and arms and ears and eyes and noses, and, and, and the list goes on. We get it. And each one of those members has been designed differently. They've been built differently. They have different purposes, but yet they all exist within one body. And that's what Paul wants us to see. Now, let's read verses 4 and 5 together. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, 
So we, river of life, in the same way we, though many members, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So here's Paul's analogy. He says the church that we're looking at here this morning, the church is like a human body. It has a lot of different members. It's got men and it's got women. We've got different races. We've got different people with different socioeconomic statuses. We've got, you know, ditch diggers and vice presidents and all these kind of things. We've all got different talents and abilities and skill sets and things like that. But Paul says when we come together that we are all part of the same body. Now, here's the thing. There are people all over America this morning attending church. And my guess is that many of them are looking at their church as if it's an organization, right? They just view it as a place to go, as, a, as an organization to be a part of. But Paul says what we are here this morning is much more profound than that. It's far bigger than that. Now, see, here's what I want you to understand. You see, Paul could have compared the church to, let's say, a football team. Today's Super Bowl Sunday, and some of you will go home and watch the game tonight. And we understand, even if you don't know all about football, you get the idea that a, that a football team has many members. And depending on your size and how fast you can run or your skill set, you can you fit in a certain place. You've got linemen, you've got wide receivers, you've got quarterbacks, linebackers, running backs. And they all work together to achieve a common goal, right? They plan, they strategize, they practice, they, they coordinate. And that's all great, and they're all trying to win a football game. We, we get that. And Paul could have compared the church to, say, a football team, but he, but he didn't. Now, you may say, and I certainly realize that there was no football back when Paul was writing this, but there were armies. Paul was very familiar with the concept of an army. In fact, he uses the metaphor of Roman armor to explain the armor of Christ in, in the book of Ephesians. So he's very familiar with an army. It's the same concept. An army has many members, but they all have different skill sets. You have infantrymen, you have cavalry, you have archers, you have everybody, and they coordinate, right? They plan, they, they have a battle strategy, and they're all trying to achieve a common goal, which is to win a battle or win a war. Paul could have compared the church to an army, but he didn't. Instead, he compares it to a body, a human body, which is a living organism. Now, why is the human body so... By the way, it actually makes more sense to look at the church as an organization. That, From the human standpoint, that actually makes sense. Because here we are, we're a bunch of people, we meet together. And by the way, we do plan. We have a board and, and we meet once a month and we plan and we, you know, we have to, we have to schedule and see who's going to be here. I mean, that's, so from the outside, you would look at a church and say, well, it just, it's an organization like any other. So why is it that Paul would choose to compare the church to the human body? Well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever stubbed your toe? When I was a kid, I was running through a yard one day barefoot, and I hit a pine knot, and my big my, my right toe just boop, popped right off. My, not my toe, but the toenail. <laughs> Calm down. So it healed back up and grew back, and then I was uh, uh, in college, and I was working at a lumber yard, and they asked me one day to clean out a grate, uh, that had, and I was picking up the grate, and I dropped it right on that same toe, and boop. 
popped off again. It's a gnarly looking thing today. Um, but let me tell you what happened. When I stubbed my toe, did the rest of the body have a meeting? Did the rest of the body get together and say, you know, what do y'all think we ought to do about this? That guy just lost his toenail. Should we, should we transfer weight to the other leg? Do you think that might be a, a help? Is that the way it works? Think about a batter in the, in the batter's box and the, the pitch gets away from the pitcher and there's a 90 mile an hour fastball coming at the batter's head. Does the rest of the body say, hold up, let's, let's have a meeting? There's a good possibility we're fixing to die. Do you think we should all, do you think we should try to coordinate and get the head out of the way? What do you, what do you think about that? Well, I will make a motion on that. Is that how it works? No, it's not how it works, is it? You see, when something threatens the body, when something hurts the body, when something is a danger to the body, the rest of the body reacts. It is immediate and it is instinctive. There's no meetings, there's no arguments. There's no reasons why the rest of us should help. You see, all the members feel the pain. All the members see the danger as if it was happening to them because it is happening to them because they're part of the body. You see, this is what Paul wants us to see, that that's how it should be with you and I. It's not an organization. It is a living organism like a body. Now, here's the thing. As I said earlier, from the outside, most people would look at a church and say, well, it should, it functions like an organization. What is it that makes us rise above that? Just another team or an army or a a business or things like that. What is it that gives us the ability to actually function like a human body? Well, Paul actually just told us in verse 5. Let's read that again. Paul says, so we, though many, are one body. Say it with me. In Christ. You see, folks, when you are saved, something incredibly profound happens. You are united with Christ. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Ephesians says you are chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. He in us, us in Him. We are indwelt by the Spirit of Christ. There is a unity between us and and Christ when we are saved. And it is that unity with Christ. You're unified with Christ. She's unified with Christ. He's unified with Christ. I'm unified with Christ. Therefore, we are members one of another. We are unified together. It's not just a team or an organization or something like that. Now, by the way, what I just said was really important. What I just said is incredibly important. Can you imagine somebody in our body saying to somebody else in our body, I don't want nothing to do with you. I don't want to be attached to you. I don't want to have a relationship with you. I don't want to to know you. That's exactly the same as I choose not to know Christ. See, folks, you can't have your cake and eat it too. If you want to be a Christian, that means you're united with Christ. And that means you're united with every other believer who is also in Christ. To say that I can be a Christian and live apart from the body is like me cutting off this finger and and setting it in a chair over there and say, it'll be okay. I'm sure it'll thrive and be healthy. No, it won't. It can't exist apart from the body. 
So this idea that you can be a Christian apart from the body of believers, that is, in, that is foreign to the Bible. You, Bible, you won't see that anywhere in the Bible. It's as foreign as this idea that one of our limbs or one of our members can exist apart from the body. So Paul says, we are members one of another. And by the way, that is the reality. And if you reject that reality, you reject Christ. Now, why does God do it this way? Just very quickly, I ain't even talked about spiritual gifts there, but I'll get here in a minute. Why does God do it this way? Do you understand? I I read the Bible sometimes, and I've always been a, a question asker. And I'll read it, and I'll say, okay, God, you did it that way, but why? Do you understand that God could have said, you know what, I'm going to save these people, and I'm just going to let them operate in just as an individual. They'll just communicate with me through the Holy Spirit, and, and I'll take care of them, and they'll worship me, and, and I'm not going to worry about this concept of a body. This whole thing about them meeting together and loving one another and edifying one another and encouraging one another. He could have not done that. Are you with me? So why did he do it this way? Why did he put a bunch of people who are so different? Different likes, different dislikes, different backgrounds, different baggage. Different everything. And he puts us all in here together. Why did he do that? Well, Romans 15, 5 through 6, I think, gives us our best answer. The Apostle Paul says this, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify God. Listen, there's something about this that glorifies God more than an individual relating to Christ. There's something about taking different races and different backgrounds and different cultures and, 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 and different baggage and different likes and dislikes and putting everybody into this melting pot and saying, love one another, serve one another, encourage one another, exhort one another, admonish one another. Show mercy to one another. Forgive one another. There's something about that that glorifies God more than you just worshiping Him by yourself. There's something about that that brings God glory in a way that uh, doing it alone would never happen. And I don't think that's hard to understand. Now, here we are. We're a church, a bunch of believers We've come to this place, we're together, we're, we're meeting here uh, Sunday after Sunday and Wednesday after Wednesday. We're trying to do those things, we're trying to be the church that God has called us to be, to be the body that God has called us to be. And in order for us to do that, God has graciously given us spiritual gifts. Let's read verse 6. Paul says this, "...having then gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Let's read that again. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Now this morning, I'm going to talk just for a few minutes about spiritual gifts. And I'm not, what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to uh, drill down into each gift and tell you what each gift does or anything like that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to answer the four, uh, probably the most four prevalent questions that people ask about spiritual gifts, um, that, that at least that I've been asked over the years. So I'll answer four questions about spiritual gifts. Number one, does every Christian have a gift? 
Does every Christian have a gift? This is an easy one. The answer to this is absolutely yes. Yes. 1 Peter 4.10 says this, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's grace. As each has received a gift. Gifts are not for the select few. I think sometimes in church we look and say, well, you know, they've been saved a while and they, they, they're really mature in their faith and, and, and that's, but that's not how the Bible does it at all. He says, as each has received a gift. So everybody has a gift that they can use within the body. Number two, are we responsible to use it? Everybody's got a gift. Are we responsible to use it? To answer this question, I'm going to tell you a story. You'll find this story in Matthew 25. It's actually a parable that Jesus tells. And it's called the parable of the talents. Let me read uh, Matthew 25, 14 to 15. This is Jesus speaking about the kingdom of heaven. He says, For it, the kingdom of heaven, will be like a man going on a journey. And he called his servants and entrusted to them his property. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one each according to his ability, then he went away. Now, first of all, this is called the parable of the talents, but in this case, the word talent doesn't mean a skill or an ability or anything like that. The word talent back then was a measure of money. In fact, what it was was about a, if you just looked at the average salary of a worker, that was a year's salary. So just think of it that way. A talent is is a normal man's year's salary in that day and time. So here's this, this man who's a wealthy man. He's got, he's got servants, so we know he's wealthy. So he's got eight talents, right? He's got eight talents. And he says, I'm gonna, when I go off on this journey, I'm going to leave these eight talents with my three servants. Now this story, this is just a really interesting story to me. So the first thing he does, he gives five to one man, he gives two to the second man, and he gives one to the third. Now here's... Think about that. He didn't say, well, let me just... God's not really interested in fairness, by the way. God's like a good businessman in that sense. He expects a return on his investment. So what he did is he he looks at that first guy and says, now this guy, he's got it going on. Smart, got a good business head on him, and he's a hard worker. He's not afraid to take risk. I'm going to take five out of my eight talents, and I'm going to give it to him because he's got some skills. And then he looks at the middle guy, and he says about that guy, well, now, this guy ain't the sharpest tool in the shed, okay? But he's a hard worker. He's a hard worker. I'm going to give him two. And then he looks at that third guy, and he got very little confidence in this guy, very little confidence in him. He's, he's, you know, he's been around him for a while, so he looks at him and says, man, not the sharpest tool, not the hardest worker, but I'm going to give him a shot. I'm going to give him one. And the Bible tells us that the guy who he gave five immediately went off and did whatever he had did. He invested it and whatever, and he turned five into ten. And the guy who had two, he went off and he took the two and he turned that into four. But the guy who had one was scared, so afraid of losing his master's money, that the Bible says he went and he dug a hole and he hid it. He was that scared of something happening to it. So after a long time, the Bible says, the man come back and he decides to settle accounts with those three men. And he calls them in. He says, tell me what you did with my money. 
And the first man steps forward and says, well, well, sir, you gave me five. I turned it into ten. And the master says, man, way to go. That is awesome. His exact words are, well done, good and faithful servant. I, I gave you a little, and you were faithful in what I gave you. Now I'm going to make you ruler over much. Come into my kingdom. And then he comes to the guy that had two. And he said, sir, you gave me two, I turned it into four. And he says the exact same thing. I love that, by the way. The exact same thing to the man that he gave to. He says, way to go. That is awesome. You, 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 that is great what you did. Well done, good and faithful servant. I gave you a little, and you were faithful in it. Now I'm going to make you ruler over much. And then he turns to that guy who hid it in the hole. And he said, what would you do with yours? And the man said, well, sir, he said, I knew that you were a hard businessman. And I, I was basically afraid that I was going to lose your money. So I went and I dug a hole and I buried it and here's what's yours. I'm going to give it back to you the same way that you gave it to me. No return. And I'm just going to read one verse what the, hit the master's response was. Matthew 25, 26. His master said to him, you evil and lazy servant. You evil and lazy servant. Servant. Oh, yeah. We're responsible. Oh, yeah. We're responsible. God expects a return on His investment. Listen, if you don't, you don't get that from the story, let me read 1 Corinthians 4.2. This is the words of the Apostle Paul. He says this, Moreover, it is required, required of stewards that they be found faithful. So yes, everybody has a gift. Yes, everybody, you are responsible to use that gift. Number three, how will you know when you find it? How will you know when, when you find it? I'll give you three ways you'll know. Number one, you'll be good at it. You'll be good at it. Number two, you will love doing it. You will get an immense satisfaction. Listen, I can tell you from experience, there is nothing... Nothing in this world more satisfying than knowing that God has given you a gift and you walk in it. There's nothing better than that. Nothing better than that. That knowing that God has given you a gift and you're walking in that gift, that is, there's a satisfaction in that, that that cannot be matched in this world. Number three, so you'll love doing it, you're good at doing it. And number three, you'll never get tired of it. Let me read 1 Peter 4, 10-11. It says this, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves, now listen to this, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. You see, when God gives you a gift, He gives you the power and the ability to accomplish that gift. And so you get up the next day and you do it again and you never tire of it. You never tire of it because it's like being plugged into a power source that just never quits sending power to you. It's the, it's the power that God supplies. In fact, that, that last verse I read is really the complete entire theology of spiritual gifts. Each Christian has a gift. You're responsible to be a good steward of that gift for the benefit of others and the glory of God. That's what spiritual gifts are all about. Now, I save the best for last. 
This is the, one of the questions I've gotten over the years about spiritual gifts is this. How do I know what my spiritual gift is? How do I know what my spiritual gift is? Let me read the uh, Romans 12, 6 through 8. And we get a list here of spiritual gifts. I want you to listen to this. Paul says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes, do it in generosity, the one who leads, do it with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy, do it with cheerfulness. Now, Paul right there in that list lists seven gifts. But he doesn't list all of them. In fact, there are five lists in the New Testament. Um, besides the one here in Romans 12, you'll find a list in 1 Corinthians 2, 4 through 11, 1 Corinthians 12, 28 through 30, Ephesians 4, 11, and 1 Peter 4, 9 through 11. There are five lists of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. Now listen to me. No list is the same. Isn't that odd? You read those five lists and none of them are the same. Some gifts that are listed in one are listed in another, but then some gifts that are listed in one list are completely left out of the other list. In fact, if you sit down and try to compile a list, you would think I can go to the New Testament and just find a definitive list. You cannot. There is no definitive list of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. Now that's odd, isn't it? I can even make it a little more, I can muddy the water a little bit more. Some things that are listed as spiritual gifts, like serving and mercy, are things that all Christians should be doing. I can give you scriptures that said you should be a server, you should be showing mercy. Those are listed as spiritual gifts, but they're things that every Christian should do. And, and the other thing that really muddies the water is, is things that we think are spiritual gifts aren't even listed. Things like singing. A lot of times we look at singing. We see people who are talented and can lead worship and we think, man, that's a real gift, but that's not listed anywhere in the Bible. Things like uh, intercessory prayer. What an, what an incredible thing to have people in the church that can go and intercede in prayer, but that's not listed as a, as a gift anywhere in the New Testament. Or you've got things like craftsmanship. If you go to the Old Testament... The ability to actually build things was listed as a gift that God gave people. In the Old Testament, it's not listed at all in the New Testament. Now, here's the thing, and this is what I want you to see this morning. Listen, the Holy Spirit, through Paul, could have easily, easily given us a definitive list of spiritual gifts, and he didn't. Now, I want to know why. God, why would you not give us a list of gifts? We want to know what the gifts are. We want to walk in our gifts. Why would you not give us a list? Well, here's would be my answer. Could it be that he doesn't want us focusing on a list? Could it be that he doesn't want us focusing on a list? I, I just went to Google real quick, threw out spiritual gifts. I found giftstest.com, spiritualgiftstest.com, SpiritualGiftsAssessment.org. Lifeway has a spiritual gifts test. Focus on the Family has a spiritual gifts test. One test I looked up had 80 questions that you had to answer to attain, to determine your spiritual gift. Another one had 140 questions that you had to answer in order to find your spiritual gift. Let me, let me just say one thing about all that. Stop. It ain't that complicated. Okay, we have a tendency to make things 
way, way more complicated than they need to be. Folks, let me tell you something. God wants you to know your spiritual gift. He's not hiding it. He's not, he's not, man, let me just hide this thing. You know, this, I mean, you know, the internet's a great thing, but he didn't invent the internet so you'd know what your spiritual gifts are. I'm sorry. It's just not that complicated. So I'm going to tell you how to find your spiritual gift. Are you ready? It's really simple. Two things you got to do. Number one, find somebody whose faith needs strengthening. And then ask yourself, how do I strengthen their faith? It's just that simple. Find somebody in your life whose faith needs strengthening. And then you ask yourself, what, what can I do? What am I good at that would strengthen their faith? Don't focus on the list. Focus on people. Don't focus on lists. Look for, for needs. In fact, let me tell you this. Not knowing our spiritual gift is not our problem. That's not really the problem of Christians. The biggest problems of Christians is that we don't have a deep desire inside of us to strengthen other people's faith. That's the problem. We want to go out and find this gift and say, well, that's my gift. And somehow, so just so we can tell people that I've got a gift and this is what it is and all of this. But we're not even looking for people that need our help. That's what we should be doing. You know, human nature, human nature, it tears down. Right? You don't, you want to see that go out in the world right now. They are, they are tearing each other apart. They are tearing each other apart. That's the broad road. That's the easy road. Anybody can do that. Just do what comes natural. But to build people up, to edify people, to strengthen people, to encourage people, to love people, to show mercy to people, to forgive people. Folks, that's the narrow road. There ain't a whole lot of people on that road. There's not a whole lot of people on that road. Listen, show me a person who in the deepest part of their heart wants to strengthen other people's faith, let me tell you, you'll find your spiritual gift just like that. You'll find it just like that. God's not hiding it. He wants you to know, but why would He... I mean, what's the point of giving somebody a spiritual gift when they don't even have a heart to encourage? When they don't have a heart to strengthen or edify, what's the point? You see, the heart has to come first. You do that and you'll find your spiritual gift. I want to close by asking a question. And that is, why are you here this morning? Why are you here? I mean, deep down, what's the point? What are we trying to accomplish here when we come to church? I love it, by the way. I love it. I love coming on Sunday morning. I love coming on Wednesday night. I've always said it's like coming out of a cold rain and stepping inside of a fire or in front of a fire. That's how, what it feels like to me. Because that junk out there, that filth out there, I want to come in with people that love Jesus. I want to come in people that love one another. And I'm going to be honest with you, you'd have to be a hard-hearted person to walk out of here and not feel good. I mean, seriously, I don't know how you walk out of here and not feel good. But it's got to be about more than that. It's got to be about more than that. You see, God has a purpose in salvation. He says one time, those that endure to the end will be saved. Well, how do we endure to the end? How am I going to make it? I'm going to make it with your help. 
in your help, in your help, in your help, in your help. When I need a word, you give me that word. When I need encouragement, you give me encouragement. When I, are you with me? That's what we're doing. We're like a bunch of broken down, crippled legged people out on the road and each one's picking up the other one and, and one drops down and the other one picks them up and we, sometimes we build stretchers. Sometimes we build stretchers, sometimes we put them on our... We do whatever we got, but we get them all across the line. That's what it's all about. It's not about a bunch of perfect people. It's, it's nothing like that at all. That's why I'm here. I'm here because I need you, and I'm here looking for somebody that needs me. And I'm telling you, when you do that, folks, there, what, what a satisfaction in that. What a satisfaction in that. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that uh, even though we may not understand why you did it the way you did, we know that your ways are good and your ways are true and your ways are right. So, God, we put our faith in your way. And we stand here this morning, Lord, and we say we choose you and we choose your way and we choose this body. And we'll do our part, God, to get them across the line. And we pray that others will do their part to help us get across that line. Father, I pray if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that they don't know you, God, I, I, I pray that even now you would impress upon them that they are on their way to court. They're on their way to court, and there's a judge waiting. Make it right now. Make it right now. Don't wait till you get to court. When you get to court and the judge sits in that seat, it's too late. But right now, his son, right now, his son stands on the side of the road offering, offering sustenance, offering forgiveness, offering mercy, offering love, offering salvation. If there's anyone, God, that's on that road right now and they don't know you, do something in their heart today. In Jesus' name. Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with, please contact us at 850-926-1200 or email us at info at We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 1030 a.m., in Crawfordville. Please visit us online at rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions.